0: I looked it up. It was about a a year ago that we started studying this book called 1 Samuel. Uh, uh, We kind of covered a little bit last week as we launched back into uh, our study of it, uh, what had happened in the early days. Samuel's a prophet. He is uh, born to a woman named Hannah. He is committed to the work of God early on in the story of this book, and uh, he he kind of grows up to become the prophet and the high priest and also the judge of Israel, but uh, along the way... Uh, Israel decides it wants a king, and so what unfolds next in the story of 1 Samuel is the story of the first kings of Israel. They are uh, uh, three of them who serve 40-year terms each, a guy named Saul, a guy named David. Anybody know the third one? Solomon, the son of David. Yeah, those guys uh, kind of carry us through the stories of 1 and 2 Samuel, and uh, we've arrived at the story of where things are going to shift from Saul being king to David being king. It's going to take a minute huh, because Saul doesn't want to leave, uh, and, and David can't assume the throne until Saul uh, eventually passes on from this mortal coil. So, uh, we got about 16 chapters before that occurs, uh, and we're going to just kind of walk through it step by step uh, as we read God's word together on a weekly basis. Uh, what we're going to see is that there's, uh, there's two kings involved. One's a pretty good king, not perfect. David, going to have some, some mistakes. Uh, But for the most part, good king. Uh, Saul, almost always, bad king. Just messes up. And we talked last week about how in life uh, we get to watch other human beings make good choices and we can seek to emulate them. Oh, that's your dad. That's how I I know you. How's it going? Sorry. I just met a... Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, uh, And then secondly, uh, we're going to watch, as David, and, and we get to do this in life too, we get to watch people be successful and emulate their choices in, in becoming successes ourselves. It's what discipleship's all about. We, we watch someone else who's gone, uh, you know, maybe a little bit further down the road or has, has uh, experienced some things with Jesus, and we learn from their experiences and seek to bring them about in our own lives. So, good king, bad king. Learn from the good one, learn from the bad one. Let's learn some things about the bad one today. If you were with us last week, this is one of those sermons I thought would take one week. It's going to take seven. How's it going? Uh... <laughs> It happened again in the first service. I, I had, and yeah. so uh, uh, here we go again. But we started last week, and in, in chapter 15, it opens up with this troubling command. God, uh, you know, for uh, 400 years has commanded that this certain people, the Amalekites, the descendant of a guy named Amalek, um, be wiped out from the earth. And he decides 400 years after issuing this back in the Exodus, the time of Israel's Exodus out of Egypt, he decides that now in the reign of Saul, that's going to come about. And, and we talked about how that's troubling, that God would command such a, you know, a, a sweeping annihilation. Everybody had to go, including the flocks and the herds. And, and if you weren't here last week, you can go back and watch that online. And we talked about how that's just when a God who is perfect deals with an imperfect uh, world. Uh, he still loves us. He's still gracious in so many ways. None of us deserve anything. Is everybody with me on this, right? Maybe you're not. Uh, but certainly if we redefine or, or reanalyze what fair is, some of the things that God does don't seem so uh, heinous or difficult to us. So there was a troubling command, and then as Saul seeks to obey God in his command and, and going and you know, making war with the Amalekites, um, he for the most part does what God says, but it's only a partial obedience, which we discussed last week. Is partial obedience, obedience, or disobedience? It's disobedience, right? Uh, it's, it's basically obeying in such a way or, or just enough to make it look like full obedience, but still, it, it doesn't meet uh, the muster. I, I, I used to tell my kids, hey, before you, you know, get to go out and do whatever you want to do on a Saturday, which for the most part when they were kids was playing video games, weird, I I was thrown outside. Does anybody remember those days? When I was a kid, my kids don't understand this, my parents literally threw me out of the house. I know it's a different world, but I wasn't allowed to come back until the lights came on. But anyway, I digress. This is why I don't get through sermons. How's it going? Uh, Before my kids could do whatever they wanted to do on a Saturday, they had to clean their rooms. Uh, My son Cooper, early on in his room cleaning uh, uh, life, (laughs) figured out that dad was going to actually come in and inspect the room, right? Right? And uh, so, uh, most days when he would clean his room, it'd be done in like five minutes. And if you'd seen the room, you would know it's not five minutes that's gonna. And so, I would come in, and uh, Cooper would stand in front of his closet. (laughs) And I would start walking around his room, be like, wow, this is really clean. It's amazing that you got it all done in five minutes. Hey, would you mind if I look behind your closet door? What closet door? Everybody knows what's happening next, right? I'm going to open the door and the pile, the mounds of everything that was on his floor and strewn about his room is about to tumble out on me, right? Because his means or method of uh, cleaning in the room was just, and that's it. Not a clean room, had to do it over again. You did too, right? And this is what we know to be partial obedience. Looks like he's done it, hasn't done it at all. All right, so a troubling command, partial obedience, and we finished up last week with this final straw. God comes uh, to Samuel, probably in a dream in verse 10, and he says this, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed... My commandments, I can't remember which one I got to, which service it was, but I think I talked a little bit about regret and how God's regret is not the same as our regret. If I didn't get to talk about that, let's talk about it now. Everybody understands when God says, I regret, it doesn't mean that he made a mistake like we do when we say, I regret. Anybody ever regretted something you did? Like you, you thought you were, you know, doing the right thing and it turned out to be the, the wrong thing, see every home repair I've ever done, Right? Uh, We're fallible. We are not all knowing. And so, regret for us is different from what God is saying about his regret here. God is infallible. He is all knowing. And so, his regret isn't like ours. In fact, a little bit later in the story, spoiler alert, it's going to be a bad day for Saul. Uh, He is going to be just roasted, completely raked over the coals of his uh, uh, partial obedience. And he's going to end up. Uh, this being the final straw, he's going to end up losing his kingdom for good. And uh, God is going to use Samuel to anoint David to be the next king. But as that, uh, as that verdict is being levied in the story of Saul, uh, Samuel says this. Um, he says in verse 29 of the chapter at the end, And also, BT dubs, by the way, the glory of Israel, one of the Old Testament names of God, Will not lie or say it with me or have what? So within 15, 16 verses, God says, I regret that I put Saul on the throne. But then Samuel says, just so you know, God's regret, not the same as ours. God will not regret or have regret for he is what? Not a man that he should have regret like we do. His regret's different. And so the final straw brings out this idea of God's regret, but his regret is mostly like this, um, He is mostly regretting for Israel the choice that they made to clamor for and and demand a king for him that he knew wasn't going to work. He, in his uh, fatherly fatherly knowledge, said, okay, I'll give you this, and we're going to see how this works out. Any parent ever done that to your kid? They've demanded, I want to do it this way. I want to do it this way. All right, here we go. And then it doesn't work out, and I knew it wasn't going to work out, and I regret that you're experiencing the consequences of your stupidity but this is what you had to do to be able to learn. And that's the regret that God has. All right. The next part we need to look at. It says that Samuel, verse 15, uh, or verse 11, uh, last part of chapter 15, Samuel was angry. And he cried to the Lord all night. Like all night. He, he finds out that this is where Israel's going. This is where Saul has taken Israel. Saul's going to be deposed. And he's angry, so angry that he stays up the whole night crying out to God. Uh, Some, you know, understandings of this Hebrew word is that he wept to the Lord all night. Now, it doesn't give us much more than that, so we have to kind of ask the question, what made Sam so angry and what kept him up all night? Certainly, a couple possibilities. One most likely, the other one maybe But the most likely one is that Samuel, in this all night crying and anger, was grieving with God over Saul's sin. It broke his heart that God's heart was broken over the choices of Saul, and together they lamented that this is where things had ended up. It reminds me of what Jesus taught. In the Sermon on the Mount, in the first few verses there, as he's listing out the Beatitudes, he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Have you ever read that one before, heard that one before? I've preached it to you a couple times. It's one of these kind of odd, uh, unlikely, we would maybe say, um, references or, or statements that Jesus makes. It doesn't seem like mourning is a blessed thing at all. Blessed are those who mourn. Uh, blessed is this word that in the Greek means approved of. God approves of those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Mourn over what? Well, if you read the first verse, it talks about being blessed uh, as, as someone who is poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, understand I don't have anything spiritually. I, I'm, I'm a sinner. Uh, I am unable to change things in my life. My sin is holding me back. And so blessed are those who understand that about themselves because then they seek a savior. Right? Right? The second part of that is blessed are those whose uh, personal sins and whose picture of the the sins of the world breaks their heart. Like, do you grieve your sin? We're going to see a guy, a king, who does not grieve his sin at all. In fact, he's going to do everything he can to justify his sin, and it's not going to end well for Saul. You good at that? Most people are. I didn't do that. My sin's not that bad. This isn't really making a difference in my life's bottom line. No, Jesus says, hey, you know what God approves of? He approves of the human heart that breaks over the sins of the world, your personal sins and the sins that you see around you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, it's right for us to grieve, to even be angry when things aren't as God has designed or has he desires them to be. It's right for us for it to be uh, visceral. Now, we're going to be careful about our reactions, right? But certainly, it should bother us, these things that bother God. So when a a fire engulfs a, a Hawaiian island, it should bother us that that happened, and we should... Seek wherever possible for us to pray for and provide for as, as storms form in the Gulf. Who read the newspaper this morning? That's an old statement. Uh, but as, as, as things kind of, we should pray for the sparing of anybody. Don't just pray that the storm doesn't come. Everybody gets that, right? Don't just pray that the storm doesn't hit us because it's going to hit somebody else. Just pray that the storm doesn't. Everybody with me? But we care about the brokenness of the world. We care about the impact of sin on people and it changes how we live. That's what Samuel was doing. He was angry with God probably and stayed up all night because of it. Uh, I read a book though this week, one of the commentators that I read said it's possible for us to take this anger and this up all nightness and look at it from a different direction and certainly it bears out in other stories in our scripture. It's possible that Samuel, finite as he is, is angry with God, that he is uh, um, disturbed by the, uh, the, the whole outcome of this Saul scenario. It's like, why are we doing this? Why did we even anoint this bozo to begin with? Of course it was going to end up here, and of course Israel's going to pay the price, and how could this be? It kind of reminds me of like the story of the prophet Elijah, and a couple of books later from here in First Kings, this guy Elijah comes on the scene in Israel, and he's sent by God to basically show or showdown a showdown against these prophets of a false god named Baal. Anybody remember this story? There's a whole bunch of things that go on, but ultimately uh, Elijah is triumphant uh, against hundreds of these prophets of Baal, and uh, and and there's this huge victory. But just like uh, in our worlds. Uh, the, 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 the greatest climb is often the preceder to the biggest fall, the biggest dip emotionally. And, and, and so what happens in the wake of this defeat of the, the prophets of Baal is that the queen uh, of Israel at the time, uh, a lady named Jezebel, uh, issues a decree for the death of Elijah. Shoot on sight. If you see him, kill him. And so Elijah goes on the lamp. Uh, and ends up, after a day of kind of in hiding in Israel, decides to walk 40 days away from his homeland. And he ends up in a cave down towards Egypt. And he holds up in the cave, exhausted, terrified, defeated. And God comes to him in that cave, and he's like, Elijah, what's up, bro? We totally, you know, toasted the Baal prophets. Why, why the long face? It's a paraphrase. That's not the literal... <laughs> But you can read it in 1 Kings 16, and and Elijah's like, man, just kill me now. Moses got there. Just kill me now. Like some of the heroes of our Bibles got to points, whether it was depression or disillusionment or whatever, they're just like, let's be done, because this isn't what I signed up for. Been there? Anybody? Anybody? Stayed up late at night wondering why your kids fill in the blank. Um, Lost sleep and cried more tears than your body can produce over the, the death of someone that you loved and you weren't ready to say goodbye to. Ever, you know, had something happen that just made you stay up all night and shake an angry fist in the face of a holy God? All Lieutenant Dan, right? Forrest Gump. Look it up. Understandable. And and, and let's all be grateful that God loves us enough to keep loving us even when we, right? But here's the two things that we can take from uh, Samuel's sleepless sleepless night. If if certainly he's grieving with God, which I think is the most likely, then, then let's learn from Samuel to let sin break our hearts like when you see things that are not as God intended as God designed let let that affect you in the same way that it affects our God and breaks his heart have a righteous anger not an unrighteous one don't take things in your own hands but care when things aren't as God designed and then Secondly, let your disappointment over God's will slowly, quickly, preferably, but at least in any way, go away. Because this posture in life, you're just going to get real tired. Why, why, why? The answer is people come and ask me, you're the pastor, you should know. Why? I don't know. I don't know. You know what my big blanket is and all that? Yes, sin stinks. People make bad decisions. Now, I don't understand why someone gets this want long in life with someone that they love and other people get way too, it's too long. When are they going? Anyway, uh, um, I don't understand these things. I don't understand why some marriages work and other marriages don't. I don't understand these things. Other than to say we live in a broken world, broken things happen. God is with you in the midst of them. And so even as you express your frustration with him, understandable, by his grace and in his strength, move on and walk with him through them as opposed to in anger against him. All right, let's talk about where this story is going to head next. We're going to see a king deluded here in this next part. Verse 12 says this, Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. This isn't like what the scripture is explicitly stating here, but it is a good idea. If you've got a hard thing to do, just go do it. Is anybody with me on this? Like, get up early and just take it on. The longer you delay, the harder it becomes. Just, you know, my, we say to our kids all the time, I don't want to do this, I'm scared. Do it scared. Just go. It's not going to get any easier by you putting it off. That might be what some of you needed to hear today, but let's continue. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning and it was told to Samuel uh, by someone that Saul had come to Carmel and behold, he had set up a monument for himself and had turned and then passed on and then went down to this place called Gilgal. All right, if you're not familiar with the topography, the cities in Israel at this time, Carmel, pretty big city, okay? A place where, you know, certainly lots of people would gather, probably a lot who had been fighting with. Saul in this battle against the Amalekites were from Carmel, okay? Maybe it was on the way, it kind of was. Uh, but, but it was not the, uh, the end game in their uh, you know, final uh, march uh, uh, at the finish of this battle. That would be Gilgal. Gilgal is where the, the sacrifices in Israel were made to God at this time. They didn't, Jerusalem didn't exist. Gilgal was the place of sacrifice. So here's what we got. Saul and his armies. Uh, oh, I should have told you this. They were supposed to kill everybody. Saul kept the king, Agag. That was last week, right? So there's this king that we were supposed to kill, but he kept him because kings back then would keep the other defeated kings as trophies. And so Saul had kept one Amalekite alive, Agag. And then the uh, people, the soldiers, had taken from the herds, which was commonplace in every other battle. You would take the spoils of war. They had been ordered not to in this case, but in every other situation, uh, the, the conquering army would take all of the good stuff for themselves, and so they had gone, and even though they, they had killed, like, uh, the, the, the weakest of the flocks, they had kept the fattest and the strongest for themselves, and so here comes this army, Saul's got the king, the soldiers have all of the, the livestock with them, and they stop first in Carmel, and what does Saul do? Someone fire up the furnace, we're going to make me a bronze statue to myself, because look what I did! Look at the victory that I had over the Amalekites. Check out Agag. It's still a fun name to say, Agag, 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 agag. Check out Agag. And look at all these fat cows and, and, and hefty lambs. Look at us. Look at, I mean, it was a complete wipeout. We chased them all the way almost down to Egypt. We're back in town. Let's build me, listen, barbecue for everybody, and let's build me a statue. What do you say? Then we'll head over and give God his due. Now, I know nobody in here would ever do that. Nobody in here would ever take credit for something God did for them, and make it all about themselves and get themselves some shine. I know nobody in here ever does that. Are you picking up my sarcasm? We do it all the time. Look what I did, right? And then, you know, sure, we'll make sure God get his, but uh, this is what Saul has done. Uh, You know, um, this partial obedience and then his self-satisfaction in it it's something we're all guilty of. Like, let's all just agree one more time. Everybody grateful for the grace of God? Okay, do you think we probably test his grace way more than we should, though? Because here's us most of the time. When it comes to sin, eh, good enough. Close enough. Sometimes we even convince ourselves that our sin is a good thing, like Saul has done here. I told this story early on in my career at life. When I lived in Dallas, Texas, there was, t- there was a, a north-south toll road there, Uh, that uh, I was uh, going to seminary, and I had to drive down it in order to get to my classes on time and stuff like that. And and I wasn't in a position to be paying lots of tolls. Uh, And it was back in the day before you had a toll tag, before you had, like, the scanners and stuff. So you literally had to stop at booths and give them money, and they'd give you change. Or if you had, you know, change yourself, you could throw it in the basket. Who remembers the basket, right? Like, back in the day, my friends and I would, like, make fun. We, You know, we'd do hook shots from the passenger side, seeing if we could make it in the basket because we had extra quarters. But there was a a season in our life, Eleanor and I, I was working, going to seminary uh, pretty much full time. Uh, We had three children under the age of three. Uh, We didn't have a lot of extra resources. And so um, I was scraping literally for every extra, uh, you know, uh, flow I I could get. Now, the the toll tag or the toll uh, booth would have this change return place, okay? So like uh, if you, apparently, if you threw too many quarters in the basket for a a 60 cents toll, like 75 cents, your 15 cents was supposed to show up in this change receptacle. How many people think people stopped for the 15 cents? Nobody did, right? And so uh, it started out innocently, me enough, I was just trying to find other people's 15 cents, okay? But then there would be these banner days, people. And I'm even talking about it like it's a good thing now. Because inside, I still think I did the right thing. Anyway, uh... There would be these banner days where the the, the machine would jam. And so anybody who threw quarters into the the basket, it would just flow all the way past where it was supposed to be received and would end up in the change machine to the point where where the change basket, where you were supposed to get your change, would overflow. And so some days you'd put your hand in there hoping to see like maybe a dime and it'd be on this one particular day. I got $12.50 in change. I'm just, I'm reaching and throwing, reaching and throwing, reaching and throwing. And I can't remember why I told this story. Here it is. These are all my, it was kind of like a, I can't remember why I told this story in a sermon years ago, but I told it as if I were the hero in the story. Look at me. I stole that money. Somebody like, no, you didn't, because you do it too, and you don't want to think that you're a stealer. <laughs> it may not be a basket at a toll booth, but you're taking whatever you can find, and you want that to be okay. And I'm here to tell you, if you take something that's not yours, it's stealing. <gasps> but we come back to our friends, and we're like, you will not believe I, I got one over on the man. I made $12.50 off the tollway. Here's how I knew it was wrong, okay? I'm sitting at this booth, and I'm scooping this, and the guy who's taking the dollar bills waiting for the next car to go through notices that I'm still sitting there, and he's like, hey, because he knows that I'm stealing from the Dallas North-South Tollway, and he runs out of his booth, and I punch it. That's how I know I was wrong. (laughs) I had to do a getaway. And quarters are falling out my window as I'm squealing tires trying to get out of this booth. But I didn't tell that part of the story when I shared it the first time. Okay. We all do it, you know why? Because sin makes us stupid. I know that because your Bible says it does. As Paul is speaking about sin and its effects on the world in the first chapter that he wrote to the Romans, he says this in chapter 1, verse 21. For although the humans knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they instead, because of sin, implied in the context, became futile in their thinking and foolish in their hearts. Their hearts were darkened. They got dumb and dark." Claiming to be wise, they became fools. That's the part I wanted to get. Saul was like, how wise am I? How great is this? I got this very specific command to go wipe out all of Amalek, but I know better. I'll keep the king. We'll keep the fat cows. It's a win-win. God got what he wanted. I got what I wanted. Let's build the statue. Is that you? It is. Somewhere in your matrix of life, you justify sin just like Saul does. You've convinced yourself, it's okay. God will forgive me. It's not that bad. And off you go. Saul's just 100% positive that he's doing this amazing thing. So positive that when he sees Saul, excuse me, Samuel, Saul sees Samuel uh, as he approaches him, Uh, wherever that is, between Carmel and Gilgal, or if it was a Gilgal, we're not sure. But they finally meet, and and Saul speaks first. Look what it says in verse 13 of chapter 15. Samuel comes to Saul, and Saul says to Samuel, blessed be you to the Lord. Confers this blessing on the prophet. He says very emphatically, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He's, He's like some kid, like maybe me, who in 1980 uh, won the Jerry Lee Lewis uh, Spelling Bee in his school in Quincy, Massachusetts and was the recipient of this fine bee trophy I stood at the thank thank you that's appropriate thank you I stood at the door as I heard the car come into the garage it was my dad returning from work and I stood at the door like this and as he walked through and he's like what you do and I was like I won the school spelling bee. Na, 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 right? And he applauded, and my family applauded, and they've revered me ever since. But that's Saul. Look what I did. I kept the command of God. Nailed it. Mic drop. But his supposed success is about to be revealed for the abject failure that it is. The prophet is about to, once again, confront his king. we got a king confronted. And he starts in a way that I think is so fitting. Saul, I did it. I kept the commandment of God. Samuel, verse 14. Well, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Hang on, I remember telling you to wipe everything out. What are you doing with all these cows and lambs? How come I hear the herds? What gives, Saul? Does anybody notice this? How sin just kind of has a way of finding you out? Has anybody noticed that? I think maybe God and His Holy Spirit is kind of behind some of that, right? Like, like I don't know about you, I get caught a bunch. <laughs> yeah, you want to know how, don't you? All right, uh, I'll give you, a, for instance, there'll be some times where Eleanor and I are trying to eat better, okay? And uh, and I'll you know I'll come home at, at at dinner time. She'll be like, "How how is your eating today?" I'll be great, and then she'll walk up to me, and I've almost shaved this thing a couple times because of this, but. Uh, <laughs> She'll walk up to me, and she'll reach in, and she'll pull like a drip of queso from the the cheese and, you know, the chips that I had at lunch, and she'll be like, huh, that looks like queso from Sabor. Is that what you had for lunch? Oh, got it, right? Because you can get away with pretty good. That can mean lots of stuff, right? How was your eating day? Pretty good. It was delicious is what I meant. Not it was nutritious or healthy. I had me some queso. I wasn't going to say that out loud. I was just going to leave it at pretty good. But my chin found me out, right? Now, that's kind of turned about, you know, fair play now. Everything that gets charged to our credit card shows up on this watch as soon as it's charged. So I'll be like getting on the phone. Hey, what'd you get at Dairy Queen? Yeah, uh, You know, that kind of thing. Anyway, uh. but it just has this way of surfacing, right? You just can't hide it. Over time, it's coming out. You can keep pushing, tamping it down, but eventually it just kind of seeps around the edges. The, the lambs, bah. The cows, moo. And so you get got a choice in those moments. When you've been found out, which Saul had totally been found out, you can either do what his, pre- or his successor does, David, uh, without... Blowing that story. David basically um, sleeps with another man's wife. Her name is Bathsheba. He is complicit in the murder of that man. Murder by war. It's a long story, but it's in there. He is confronted by the prophet of his time, a guy named Nathan. Great hot dogs. And Nathan comes up to David and tells him a story about a lamb. And when it finally comes to light that the guy in the story is David, and he took the lamb of the other man and killed the man. This is all David says. You can read it. I have sinned before God, full stop. That's it. Not a lot of dancing. Not a lot, and, and just so you know, that is what you should do when you get busted. Yep, I did it. Yep, I was wrong. Yep, there's, there's no excuse for that behavior. And yes, I need to change it and forgive me and help me so that I become who I'm supposed to be. That's what you do when you're found out in a, in a fault. You own it. It's what David did. It's what mature followers of Jesus who care about what he thinks about them choose to do. But those who are like Saul, like so many of us, we just can't stand the fact that we were wrong. And so we do what he did. We try to wiggle out of what is obviously uh, against the will of God. So that's one of the things I want you to get today. I don't know how much we're going to get to, (laughs) but at least get to this. Watch out for the wiggle in your life. Watch out for the wiggle, 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 right? Because that's what we do. We We are confident that if I can talk fast enough and think fast enough, I can work myself out of this. And it robs us, look at me, please hear me, it robs us of the humility that we're meant to have so that we can confess, identify, confess, repent, and move forward in new life, which is what God does with us sinners all the time. But the longer we wiggle, the longer we writhe in the pain that is our sin. Stop wiggling. And just own it. (laughs) What then is the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Look what (laughs) Saul wiggles. He does the three most common wiggles for sin in succession in this one, two-verse run. Watch them. The first one is deflect the blame. That's like the chief wiggle, not my fault. I didn't do it. Look what he says. Saul said, first word, they. Who? Me? No, they. They have brought them. All these flocks that you're hearing, the Baz and the moos, that's those guys. Way to throw your people under the bus, right? They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. This whole deflect the blame thing, it's been happening since the first sin. Because you remember the lineup in the garden, right? Adam, Eve, snake, right? God comes to Adam, which was completely right, fellas. Adam should have thrown himself in front of that sin. He was responsible for creation, including the one that was created from his rib. And so he abdicated his leadership, and it's been a problem ever since. I don't have time. But that's why God came to Adam and said, dude, what happened? And you remember what Adam did? He points at the woman, and he points at God, and he said, the woman that you gave to me. Somehow sin was God's fault, because if you hadn't given her, we wouldn't be here. And then the woman is asked by God, same question. What's up, Eve? And what does she do? If the snake hadn't said what the snake had said, I wouldn't have... And we do it all the time. It's never your fault at work. Listen, if you're in a bunch of stuff happening in life, if the circumstances are always the same wherever you go, there's one common denominator in that situation, and it's you. And so maybe have some self-awareness for a second and figure out if you're not the reason that this stuff is always going the way it's going. But no, we're like it couldn't possibly be me. So I was like, hey, man, it was them. Second thing, defend the choice. That's what he does. I made a great choice here. He says the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen, but it was for a good reason. Why? To sacrifice to the Lord our God. How great it's going to be. Listen, when we get to Gilgal, we're wiping out all these fat sheeps and calves and whatever. And it's all going to be for the glory of God. We let it go because it's a good thing. It's like saying... Eating this box of donuts is a good thing. It's not. But it tastes great and we're helping the economy because the donut guy's got to make a living and that na na And we talk ourselves into all these things like they're a good thing and they're never a good thing. Okay, first of all, do we, do we really think all of the sheep and oxen were going to be sacrificed to God? Really? No. They were going to be thrown into the herds of these conquering soldiers so that their herds would multiply and be better. It's all genetics. Put the best ones with the best ones. We'll get a better herd. I don't think they were going to... So he had to think quick, though. Why do we got these animals? We were going to sacrifice them. Yeah, that's the ticket. We were going to sacrifice them for God, and it's going to be awesome. It's a great move. Defend the choice. Are you good at defending your choices? So our son Ben was born in 1994, and all minute, it. I was having like a crisis of responsibility. I had, we hadn't planned to have kids for another six or eight years, but we snuck one past the goalie, and there we were. We were having a baby. <laughs> and uh, Sorry. <laughs> Where do I apologize online? I'm sorry for that. I want to apologize. But I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a new father, a newly minted father. I was 24 years old. And I'm like, what am I doing? I mean, providing for a wife and, and all that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm drowning in that. Now I've got to take care of a kid. And so my solution in that situation was, you know what I need? I need a new computer. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. So I go to Best Buy and on complete credit, I remember computers back then? They were like per capita, they were like way more expensive than they are now. And I bought like the Mac Daddy Cadillac computer and brought it home. And Eleanor's looking at me as she holds our son and she's like, what are you doing? And I did the dance. This is a great choice. We'll be able to keep our bank records. Like, I mean, all this garbage in 1994 that I said we'd be able to do with this thing. Here's the deal. I just wanted to play Madden. <laughs> I just wanted something subconsciously that I could go to to escape the responsibilities of my life. And that's what it became. And so you can just imagine how great that was. Yay! We're paying so I never see you, Mark. Awesome. But I made it work in my head. And I'm a, I'm a lawyer. That's what my wife calls me when we start to argue. Here comes the lawyer. Because I can just argue and make my points and make it sound just like Saul's doing. It's a great idea. Let's go into debt so I can ignore my family. It's awesome. The last one's this, diminish the offense. Diminish the offense. Deflect, defend, but then diminish. This isn't so bad. Look what he says next. One more time. Listen, it wasn't me. They, the people, brought all of these sheep and cows from the Amalekites but they spared them so that they could make these sacrifices to God. And then don't forget, Samuel, the rest of it we did. Focus on what we did. Focus on what we did. See all the good parts and let that make these bad parts okay because all you're looking at is this. We did it mostly. And the alterations we made... We're good ones. That's the wiggle. Deflect. Defend. Diminish. And it's all demonic. Because it keeps you from what God desires for your life. This is the part where I have to stop because I got like two-thirds more and no time to say it. I'll say it next week. Come back. We'll keep talking. But I wonder, if you are here this morning, and you've been doing that in your life, I want to be a Samuel for you. Because in the next verse, this is what Sam does. As Saul's getting going, this is what Samuel does. Samuel says to Saul, verse 16, stop! Can you see the picture? The king of Israel surrounded by a happy army, coming back from a huge victory, as the king explains why he's built the statue and how everything he's done has been a great choice. The prophet of God says, stop! This is crazy! Do you even hear yourself? Stop! Stop, and I'll tell you what God thinks about this. Stop and listen long enough to know what's really going on in this situation. And then... Saul says, all right, fine, speak. And Samuel says this, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? He gives the given and the geometry problem. Hey, I know you think you're kind of you know weak, and that's why you're hitting the luggage at your coronation, and you never really wanted this job, and da, da, da. But isn't that what we do? We make excuses. Well, I did this because I'm just... You know, this way, or I'm, you know, my dad was angry, so I'm angry, so I keep be- taking it out on my wife. Or, you know, I mean, we have all these excuses like Saul did. But then God brings us back to, yeah, but didn't I tell you this is what you're supposed to do in this role that you have? I know you think you're small, but aren't you the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, the Lord put you where you are. And so there's responsibilities that come with that. Don't deflect on the people, you're the leader. He goes on and he says, the Lord, listen, I was very clear before the whole thing started. The Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the of the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are all consumed. That includes Agag. That includes the herds. God didn't stutter, neither did I. You knew what you were supposed to do. You're the king of Israel, and it's all on your head. It's all on your back because you're in charge. And then he says this, then why did you not obey the voice of the Lord. Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Come back next week and we'll find out what Saul says. But I wonder if I can be your Saul. Hey, man, stop. Did not God put you in the place that you are so that you could honor him with that wife or that husband or that family? Did not God give you what you have in life so that you could seek him for what you lack instead of making excuses for how you choose to react in those situations? Has God not been clear in his revelation to you as to what he expects for how you should live? I mean, I don't, even, I don't want to get into all the things that he says there, but he's, he's pretty clear on the ways that we should function in relationships, on the ways that we should function on a Saturday night on the things that we should allow our eyes to see, our ears to hear, the places where we let our feet go. I mean, he's pretty clear. And so if you've been someone who's been deflecting and defending and diminishing so that you can stay in your sin and keep this kind of life, let me be your Samuel. Stop. And then come back next week and listen to the things that God has for you to hear. All right. You want to sing a happy song? In the midst of all of this, isn't it great to have a God who loves us, who's patient with us? Isn't he worthy of our praise? We shouldn't let any other, anybody else you know, praise him instead of us. He deserves our praise. Stand with me as we sing our praises to our God.